Hello, welcome to the Biblical Truth of the Word with Apostle Dr. Daniel Kwache, and my name is Ifia Drua Adaman. Here on this platform, we talk about questions, concerns that people have concerning the Bible, Christianity, and life in a whole. Last week, we spoke about the Bible contradicting itself. We spoke about the reliability of the Bible. If you missed last week's episode, just look your far left, click on it so that you can continue with us today to just help you understand how the discussion is going to be. I have here with me, Apostle Dr. Daniel Krache. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. I'll just give you the opportunity to introduce yourself. Apostle Daniel Krache, the Sinaketik of Maranatha, Apostolic Ministry. We get that. What I was, I will see what I was. It's in between Bayard and Malambos. That is my name. Okay, so that was the apostle's name and his location. Also, he is a man of God, a senior caretaker of Maranatha Apostolic Ministries. Today, we are talking about errors in the Bible, how the Bible is, com- the completeness of the Bible. Apostle. We have concerns. Are there errors in the Bible? The answer is big no. Oh, it calls for explanation. So please help us with explanation. I'll not be able to exhaust everything, but I'll try and throw a little light on this particular question that is baffling the minds of many people. When it comes to anything about the Bible, you can realize that there are many questions in the minds of people begging for answers that does not exist. So we are using this uh, program to try to solve some of the pro- problems and uh, questions that are not being answered, answered in the minds of people. The question you ask is a very big one. Are there errors in the Bible? The word errors is too um, powerful if there is another word we could use. And I'll say no. Mm. If you say mistakes, my errors is too harsh to be used for uh, the word of the mm. Bible. The Bible uh, has a way of uh, interpreting itself. It has a way of uh, explaining itself, but it demands special uh, insight to also do justice to the Bible so that as you might think that there are a lot of errors. In our previous discussion, we looked at the accuracy of the scriptures and we did explain that uh, from scientific point of view to prophetic dimension up to archaeological findings and historical support confirm the fact that the Bible is accurate and you can rely on it without any iota of doubt. Now, if the Bible is accurate, then it presupposes that there will not be else. But we can say they are a, lot, a little missing link in terms of translation from the original language or from the Hebrew Tanan or uh, from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, into a new versions. Uh, that has to do with translating the Greek version or the Hebrew version to a modern day English. And for instance, it's a white man that came to Ghana here to learn the tree to do the translation of the Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And as we all know, a white man learning uh, a native language, she will do well, but uh, one way or the other, there'll be one or two areas maybe might not get it right. Yeah. It doesn't change the accuracy of the scriptures. Now, uh, there are a lot of scriptures in the Bible that gives us a uh, detailed explanation that the Bible 
with the word of God, and for that matter, anything from the mouth of God, there is no error in it, because God is a perfect God. And anything from God, if there's any errors or mistake, if I come from the agent through which uh, the message was given, in terms of uh, writing or uh, documenting it. So if you look at it in general, there's no errors in the Bible because of the word of God. And the reason one uh, is, is the reason is that I, the previous uh, segment, I gave some prophecies that were spoken in the Old Testament and it fulfilled in the New Testament. And some are say fulfilling. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, 15, which I will not read it for now, after the fall of man, a prophecy was released. God declared the seed of the woman will come and bruise the head of the serpent, the serpent that deceived man in the garden to disobey God. After a thousand years later, we realized that in Luke chapter 1, verse uh, 26, and Gabriel was in town, declaring the birth of the coming seed that was prophesied. There are many scriptures, even Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, was talking about the Messiah to come. And the triumphant entry that you see it on, on us, and that is all these were fulfilled in the Gospels. So, in total, we see that the Bible is authentic, it's accurate, and there's no errors in it. And there cannot be errors, because God cannot make mistakes. If there's any errors or what we see mistakes, it might come from translation. Translation has to do with trans, I mean, I mean writing uh, from the old uh, scrolls or tablets from the original language that has to be now. Before I proceed, now the Bible is harmonious book and it has to do with um, 66 books written by 40 people in different dispensations, in different locations, in different times. Within the space of 1,600 years, the Bible was on pile. Yet, you see the harmonious dimension of the scriptures. You see that it never contradicts itself. Scripture interprets scriptures. The only, only area you can see an error has to do with maybe misinterpretation or misunderstanding of the, the, the author's uh, trail of thoughts. And that can beat you along the line because the Bible needs educated people to explain it to the letter. Else, if you use your own mind because it's spiritual, there are rules and regulations that we use to interpret the Bible. See. And if you don't know the rules and, and regulations, you can misinterpret scriptures, thinking that there are errors. But it might come from your own ignorance that you might call it an error. So there's one error that was in the Bible. The Bible is very harmonious. With one message, within the space of thousands of years, written by 40 authors in different dispensations, they were all speaking one thing. Now, all that they were speaking is about the coming Messiah. That makes it more accurate and there's no error in it. Okay, so since the Bible is accurate and there's no error, but it was written through someone, was translated from the Greek word to English or to Chi, is there a possibility that the person translating made mistakes or left out some part of the Bible because we hear people say the Bible is not complete. So the question is, is the Bible complete? Thank you. Um, yes, the Bible, I would say, is uh, more than 100% complete. But those who normally say the Bible is not complete because of the excesses or excess books that are not canonized, 
there were other books that were not part of the 66 books we are holding now. And the reason has to do with, he couldn't start the measuring rod of the canonization. Canonization has to do with uh, authentication of scriptures. Now, all the Old Testaments has one message, and the message is about the coming Messiah or the coming Savior. Mm -hmm. Any book that does not depict Christ, because the Bible is Jesus' book or is a book about Christ, Messiah, God, who is about to become a man. Emmanuel, God, is with us. And before God will do anything, you will have to dramatize it. So all the Old Testament has to do with the dramatization of the coming Messiah. And this Messiah appeared and fulfilled the Old Testament to the letter. So when it comes to errors, we cannot see any errors in the scripture. The scripture is perfect, it's accurate, and is the word of God that anybody can rely on it. And it can also uh, be used and can give you salvation. How about the completeness of the Bible? The completeness of the Bible has to do with there are other books that were not added to the synthesis books. Mm. And that is what we call it the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha was extra books that were not added because they failed the test. They were not able to depict the measuring rod that points to Christ. So any book that does not pinpoint Christ was not able to uh, meet the standard. It was taken out. So all the other books that were not added to synthesis books are books that does not point Christ out. And the Old Testament was written to point Christ out. So if any book doesn't point Christ out, it was taken out. So there were other books that were not added to Scripture. And we cannot say because those books were not added to Scripture, the Bible is not complete. What we needed to know and get salvation is the sixty-six books that points Christ, the Savior and the Redeemer of the world, especially in the Old Testament. So the other books that were not added were books that were not pointing Christ out. And any book that is not pointing Christ out, it doesn't have divine authentication to be part of the CCCs. So there are other books. How and how is it possible that there are other books, but they are not pointing to Christ? Because writing of the book was from the Holy Spirit. So the other books was also from the Holy Spirit. How is it possible that those books are not pointing to Christ? And they're not supposed to be added to the 66. We cannot emphatically state that all the writers were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Those who were writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit were pointing Christ out because the Holy Spirit, it is the same as Christ, writing about himself through men would definitely point himself out. So anybody who writes anything that does not point Christ out is considered uh, as not inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's really that you wrote it yourself. Maybe you love to write and you lose those things. But those that were inspired by God were pointing God to come. So the other books that were not canonized, they were not, the books were not inspired by uh, God. People wrote it, but there is no inspiration that uh, will appoint Christ out and it was taken out. Okay, so I'm a little curious here. Okay. Those who wrote the other books that are not supposed to be part of the 56 books, I know the same people that wrote the 66 books. They are different people. A person like... All of them. Yeah, like in the book of Enoch, there's a book of Enoch. Okay. There's a book of Judas, the one that betrayed Christ. There's a book uh, that is burying his name. Okay. And I can't imagine a Judas who betrayed Christ if his book is in the scriptures. <laughs> I can't imagine. He, did it, he betrayed Christ. So the other authors, uh, their books 
were not authenticated. And for that matter, they cannot be added to the inspired word of God. Because anything God wrote about himself was pointing God out. Genesis out to Malachi. The, those 39 books of the Old Testament where uh, there's no book in the Old Testament you read, you will see Christ. Any book in the Old Testament you see, you read, and you don't see Christ, you have not come to a place of revelation. Every book from Genesis, all the five books, the Torah, the historical books, the prophetic books, every author was pointing about, say, the Christ. So if you read all the Old Testament, any book, even every chapter you read of the, in the Old Testament, you will see Christ popping up. If you read the Old Testament, you don't see Christ. You have not come to a place of revelation. I repeat it again. Okay. So we, we, we hear seven books of Moses, seven books of Moses. Yeah. Who are, what are the seven books of Moses? What, what are they speak about? What is it? What we know is that the books Moses wrote uh, is the five books. That is uh, Matthew, uh, how do you call it? Genesis up to uh, Deuteronomy. That is what we know Moses wrote and it is uh, documented in scriptures. The seven books of Moses are titles. People are given to the extra books that were not canonized. So it doesn't mean that those books were Moses' book he wrote that was not added. All the books Moses wrote was inspired by God because he was taught by God. God spoke to him. He wrote it by revelation. Those books we call service and service books of Moses are a portion of the apocryphal, not necessary nor written by Moses. So, are you saying these books were not written by Moses? Which the six and seven? The seven, yes. Yeah, you will hear the name six and seven books of Moses. The books we know in scripture, Moses wrote in the five books and a portion of the books of Psalm. And all those uh, books are documented. We don't know any extra book Moses wrote that is not in the scriptures. It is a title people give to search books that were not authenticated or canonized. And they call it six and seven books of Moses. It doesn't necessarily mean that Moses wrote it. All the books Moses wrote is in the scriptures. But it's the same Moses, so it's the same seven books of Moses. How do you convince me that this was not written by Moses? And that's why I've explained that the name Moses attached those seven books. Moses wrote five books Genesis, Exodus, and the rest up to the Deuteronomy. That is what scripture is saying Moses wrote. If there's any other books Moses wrote, the Bible didn't record it. And we are basing our faith and our belief. In the Bible. So we don't know of the six or seven books of Moses. That is a, a terminology that is being used uh, for a portion of an apocryphal, the extra curriculum books that were not canonized in scripture. That is it. By saying this, it means that we, sh we have to just do away with the seven books of Moses. I, I'll go by them. That's the apocryphal uh, the Bible. I do read them, mm -hmm. but it's more of historical books that gives extra information but it doesn't point christ out so you can read it because i have the apocrypha it's also another form of bible you see the book of daniel uh okay yeah and then people characters in scriptures or uh people you have heard from bible you see the like, like enoch the book of enoch and uh uh under extra books uh but they are not canonized uh, so they are there so if historical books, you can read it to get something from it. So you can actually read it uh -huh. and get something from it. You can it. read it and get something out of it, but it, it will not lead you to Christ. It gives you historical information that does not point you to Christ. And the Bible is Jesus' anything that doesn't point Christ out or any book that does not point Christ out must be related to the background. Okay, so 
any book that has not point Christ out, point Christ out, point Christ out. You are talking about Solomon, songs of Solomon. When you open the Bible and get to that point, when you're reading it, you can see there are some stuff inside that you really ask yourself, hey, was this is, 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 is inspirational by God? Was this from, from God? Okay. Songs of Solomon, does it point to Christ? Yes, yeah, Songs of Solomon is one of the book that points Christ out in many areas. Songs of Solomon uh, talks about the love of God in a romantic dimension. And that is the kind of love God uh, know, uh, has for man. God, like the scripture is like, I don't know you. If you look at the word know from the original language, it has to do with, it's, it's, a, it's a word equivalent to intercourse. 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 Sexual intercourse. And Abraham knew his wife there was intercourse. And God said, I don't know you. Mm. It means God also have a way to have intercourse with uh, his children. And, then that, and God is love. Book of Solomon is talking about love of God. And God is love. So a moment to hear it about love, that it means God is available. So the book of, so, book of Solomon, Songs of Solomon right now, is a book that points God as God of love. And you can't beat God when it comes to love. It's very sad when it comes to agapu love. Or agapu, agapu. And that's it. That's it. only speaks about love. In uh, other things that also uh, talks about, and if you look at uh, the pictorial image of the book, it's pointing us to the love of Christ to come. He was using a man who is loving a woman, and it's like how Christ came and said, uh, compare the love of God to the, the, the church, that um, as Christ loved the church, Okay, so must the man also love the, the wife. So you can see that Christ married to the church. And that was what Solomon was talking about. A kind of relationship between man and woman that has to do with a relationship of love between Christ and the church, the bride, whom he came to die for. So the source of Solomon was talking about the love of Christ that led him to even die for the church, which is his bride. That is all of us. Speaking of Solomon, when you read our scripture, it talks everything about Solomon is romantic, sweet. Moving away from the Bible, relating it to relationship. Okay. The Bible says, uh, in tree, we say in plant tree or all that. And you get married from the you get married after marriage we we do our ceremonies we exchange vows speaking about i'll love you forever okay. and all that but before the marriage there's still this i'll love you forever between the the two partners okay songs of solomon speaks about this love yet yet we say impnatria bonnie. But we are we are looking at that song of it's in the Bible. And it's speaking about how sweet he was praising his lover and all that. Or if we are doing some right now, we will be saying that it's bonnie, it's a sin. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Madam Presidenta. It depends on how you operate it. You see, like I said, songs of Solomon or what was happening as a group demonstration of God's land in dramatical way, which was yet to come. Christ came to fulfill uh, the dramatization of the love in the songs of Solomon. By dying on the cross, God so loved the word, he gave his only because that's those sort of ways. Now, 
Uh, Solomon, if you look at it literally, Solomon uh, was not the enfranchised, as we say. Mm, he, he, he 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 the concubines, uh, he paid their dowry. Just that he has 300 wives, 700 concubines. All the 700 concubines, he paid their dowry. There are 300 wives, they have married them professionally. So there's nothing like enfranchised, like what you are saying in there. Wait. It was authenticated. I'll come in. I'll confirm. I'll have, it was at, I'll have to come in. I'll have to come in. You said he paid the dowry. Yes. Where? You see, the Bible is the condensed. We didn't see that, that point in the Bible that he paid all this to 300 and until the, the, diary. Uh, the culture in the, the culture in the then world, you will not get this. The culture of the then world demands that if you want to marry somebody, like you want to betroth somebody, like what Joseph did to Mary, you pay the dowry ahead of time. And it will be authenticated and confirm that this one, if he goes, she goes up, uh, it becomes your wife automatically because something has been paid. So what happened then, then was that you cannot call somebody your concubine unless you have paid something. And you can't call somebody your wife unless you have done a necessary thing. So all those 300 wives and the seven concubines, he has paid their dowry and he has the legal license to do whatever he wants to do with them. So there's not, there was something like a branchier. Uh, like I uh, wonder something before. So in there. linking the errors, the first question, if the Bible ha has mistakes, linking that question to Solomon, he married th 300 wives. That's like marrying one, one or two wives. And as a Christian, we are being taught or uh, we are, uh, our, our upbringing tells us that we cannot marry two or more and and all that in Christianity, but Solomon in, in the Bible married three hundred and seven hundred people. And so, why is it wrong for us? It, that, is that not an error in the Bible? Uh, it seems we are just shifting a program to marry. Uh, the Bible program is becoming a marital and a better. <laughs> we still have to answer these questions. It's just an example for the error, so that you clear that because it, it cannot be an error because uh, you need to understand the old and the new mm -hmm. dispensation. Okay. Yeah, two dispensation, two covenants. The old world was the shadow of the reality to come. In other words, the new was in the womb of the old, or it was concealed in the old. So whatever was happening in the old has to do with the shadows. But the New Testament is the reality. So it's also like the old was the wrapper. The new was the gifts. When the gift is pop out, pops out, you don't need the wrapper again. So the culture setting and the Old Testament setting is quite different from the new. The Old Testament, people used to marry as many as you can. Nevertheless, even in the New Testament, personally, I'm speaking it in my whole view. Mm -hmm. uh, polygamy, to me, is not a sin. Mm. Okay? It's not a sin. Because if I make this statement, I know some people would want to crucify me, but uh, I want to state it categorically. Uh, that's uh, polygamy, because the days of Paul, the New Testament, there's some elders that were polygamous and um, people, there were elders in the church, and Paul realized that because of many marriages, most of them, their attentions are divided when they come to the church of God, and he urged them that uh, if you want to be a church leader, you have to get one wife. He presupposes that some were having more than one wife. Oh. So having more than one wife does not send you to hell. Mm. There's nothing like that, that if you marry more than two, you are going to hell. But, uh, if I keep mentioning it like this, I know some pastors will crucify me and say that, what is he saying? But the truth is that if polygamy is a sin and it can take somebody to hell, no. then God will never 
it brings polygamy student they are very in the most holy city in the world because in the most holy city to come because the the twelve gates in heaven the names on the twelve tribe of Israel the sons of Jacob their names are written in each gate in heaven and this all these children are polygamous children mm -hmm. so if polygamy is a sin the most holy God will not write polygamous children's name on the gate of the most holy city in the entire world so that is to tell you that polygamy is not taking anybody to hell and there's no way polygamy the only way that takes anybody to hell is we reject Jesus Christ as a Lord and first as a Savior but I don't think polygamy can take a money to hell oh. but I am not going to be a polygamous person because even one People cannot handle it. Better. If you have the capacity to do that, it's up to you. But I am just giving my account that polygamy, polygamy cannot take anybody to, to hell. Else, David and the rest will noble to heaven. Sure, sure. Polygamy is not taking anybody to hell. No, no, no. So I can marry more than one husband. Uh, this one, uh, religious people will not understand. It will take mature people to handle it. Okay. And this particular state, this polygamy of dimension. Sure. Religious people cannot handle it. Thank you so much. Please, your last words. Last words is that uh, the Bible is uh, reliable. It's the word of God. It is the only book that was written by Santurum Santurum. Santurum Santurum. Santum Santurum. Okay. Please. Santum Santurum is a Greek word that has been four years of holy. The only book holy that gave from Santum Santurum. That is the only book that comes from the word of God. It comes from the four years of holy. It's the Bible. Aside the Bible, there is no book that can compete. It is the written document of God, uh, God's word. It has tried and tested. The Bible said the word of God is tested seven times in, in the fire. And it says standing. The Bible said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is certain. Heavens and the earth will pass away, but the word of God will not pass away. Anything that is not pass will not pass away is God, because God doesn't pass away. And for that matter, the word of God is accurate and it is God, like Genesis and how yeah, they call it. John chapter 1 verse 1 says the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and he said God nothing was created outside the word so all creation visible and invisible was created by the word and everything that creates is God and that God is the word and that word in the person of Christ who manifests on this word is very accurate Christ himself quoted from the Old Testament it tells you that the Bible is authentic when God was in town he quoted from the scripture so who are you not to quote from the scripture and rely on the scripture the Bible is accurate, perfect, reliable, and you can pray something better to boost your message. Thank you so, so, so much. The Bible is reliable, it's accurate, it's authentic. You can trust the Bible. You can believe in the Bible because it's the word of God and the inspiration is from the Holy Spirit. Today, we've learned so much. What I personally learned today is the Santo Santarius. <laughs> Santo Santumius. And that means holiest. holiest of holiest. That's one word I'm going to keep in my head. Wherever you see me and you say that, I can remember that you watched my show. Thank you so much for sticking and staying with us on today's discussion. We'll meet next week. Do well to share with us your comments on all our social media handles. Also, subscribe and share with all your friends and your loved ones to also get this revelation we are giving here. The name is Esia Drua Adjiman, and our social media handle is Apostle Dr. Daniel Kwachi. Do well to subscribe and share with us your comments. Thank you.